father's lightsaber. What? Lightsabers, precious? Welcome to What's Lightsabers Precious? The Lord of the Rings and Star Wars Encyclopedia Podcast. My name's Ryan. And I'm Joanna. Oh, we waste time with fictional wikis. I forgot that part. And I'm Joanna. What's with the voice, Joanna? Well, I felt like I should sound a little bit more somber because you are recording on death's door. <clears throat> I am dying. I'm currently at the uh, ICU. I am plugged into the wall. The iron lung is keeping me alive. We had to edit out the noise of the lung. It was quite loud. I have the noise reduction filter and audacity. We also edited out all the the blood vomit and the... The periodic screams of the damned that he emits as he writhes in agony. And the the chitters of the parasites that rack my very body as we speak. Spider laid eggs in him. I'm okay. He's actually okay. He just has a cold. Yeah. But... Um, I'm trying something out because I know my voice is very loud and annoying sometimes. And so mm-hmm. I'm trying to make my voice sound a little bit more key and more acceptable for a human being to have. So if you needed a podcast to fall asleep to, this is the one to listen to. Because Ryan's sick. It's going to be low key, baby. Sick and tired of having a loud, flipping voice. Okay. You still got to speak up loud enough that the mic picks you up. All right. Okay, fine. I'll use my normal voice. Okay. So, Ryan... Sorry that you are dying. That's all right. I'll survive. But as you pass into the great beyond, I'm going to tell you some Lord of the Rings news. Please. That's all I want to hear as my dying thoughts. Well, did you know that the Tolkien Society is celebrating its highest ever membership? Cool. Are you a member? I am not, actually. I knew about it in passing, but I never actually joined because it cost money, and for most of my life, I did not have any. Oh, okay. So the Tolkien Society, did you know about it? I had no idea it was a thing. Well, it's a group of like-minded individuals who have dedicated themselves to the academic study of Tolkien's work and the mythical world he created. Why aren't you a member then? It sounds like your thing. Fat, well, um, I, that's the thing. I'm, I'm gonna, like, I'm gonna give you a little bit more of a description, and I'm, I want you to help me decide if I should become a member, okay? Okay. So it was founded in 1969, and its first nice. president, nice. I think they did that on purpose. Uh-huh. Its first president was J.R.R. Tolkien himself, and no, he did not find a club about himself. He just gave his blessing for others to do so. Oh, I was going to say he named it after him. No, I'm actually surprised Christopher Tolkien didn't make it. Yeah, Daddy's Club. It's the Daddy Club. Everybody join the Daddy Club. Mm-hmm. Um, J.R.R. incidentally remains the president of the society to this day, 45 years after his death. I think you stuck an extra R on there. J.R.R.R.R.R.R. Tolkien. John Ronald Raul. Ronald Raul. 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 Reagan Tolkien. Yep. Yeah, he's starting to smell a little bit, but they, they keep him up on that, that dais. So. Wow. Speaking of the society, they now boast a record high of... How many do you think? Hmm, I'm going to say 2,000 people. 1,453. Oh, I highballed it. Wow. This is the highest membership they've ever had, and I actually can't decide if that's a surprisingly small number or a surprisingly big number. I'm surprised. That's very small. It's small in comparison to the number of Tolkien fans there are in the world, surely. Or yeah. even probably the number of Tolkien fans there are in the Metro Detroit area. Sure. But it's pretty big considering you have to pay money to join. Okay, well, how much money? It's actually not that expensive. Um, it is $42.33 a year. That's nothing. 
for uh, I mean, something, adults, but... and it is fourteen dollars and eleven cents for students. Dang, so that's not so bad. Do you think I should join? I'm kind of curious. I mean, don't you want to see what kind of newsletter you get? Yeah, you get all these newsletters. You get an official membership card. I think you get a discount to their events, which are all in England, so I can't go, but regardless. So, you know, I was thinking about it $42.33 a year. Yeah, maybe something to look into. It's not bad. Maybe I'll join their ever-growing ranks. I mean, you are a high-profile podcaster. They'd be happy to have you. I mean, I yeah, they'd give me a media pass, if nothing Absolutely. else. Definitely. Major media figure here. Anyway, do you have any Star Wars news? Not much. As you guys probably know, the Disney Corporation uh, and their theme park, Walt Disney World, is building a Star Wars land <laughs> at MGM... Well, it's not MGM anymore. It's just Hollywood. Disney's Hollywood Studios. And apparently, the planet they're going to be using is a planet called Batu. They're not using Tatooine. Why wouldn't they use, like, Tatooine? Well, it's in Florida, and it rains a lot in Florida. It'd be really stupid to have a desert <laughs> environment where it rains. And also, there might be an but- alligator sometimes. <laughs> but the thing is, like, deserts usually have monsoons. Not Tatooine. They have dust storms. Oh. But, uh, no, it's a planet called Batu. It's a new planet. But apparently, the most recent book that's come out it's actually a darth vader and grand admiral thrawn book whoa they go together to the planet of batu oh they got that sweet sweet tie-in that synergy so now kids can read that book and be like i can go to the planet of batu too batu too batu too i see how how darth and thrawn are just subjugating it on this fun buddy road trip comedy. And I, I want to do that too. You know, the way will be clear. They've already colonized it. They've subdued the restless natives. Yeah, that'll be fun. I mean, I'll be honest. We went to Disney a couple years ago. It was my first time ever going to Disney in the United States. We had fun. Yeah, but it already kind of felt like they had a Star Wars land going on, didn't well, it? There's a lot of Star Wars stuff. Had, well, yeah, we got a, yeah, they had the Star Wars launch bay where they had like the stormtroopers and Kylo Ren running around. Yeah. We met Chewbacca. They met Chewbacca. We met um, Darth Vader. And then wasn't there like Jedi training for the little kids? Yeah, but there's going to be an entire land now where like they're going to have the Millennium Falcon there. There's going to be a themed hotel that's supposed Ooh. to be like you're like. The hotel is like a spaceship that you're staying oh, Ryan, on. Ryan, how much do you want? Like, let me put this another way. How much did you poop when you read that that hotel was going to be a thing? I mean, I think if I was about like 20 years younger. Oh, shut up. I would have, I would have just had to, I would have had to replace all my pants. Well, you Because did. I would have soiled all of them. I I do the laundry. I know. It'd be pretty exciting. I don't know. I th- and what I understand, the, the hotel is going to be... They've been talking about it. It's like an immersive experience. Where yeah. Where you can pay for a certain experience where they will give you, like, like kind of role-play missions every day. Oh, They have to complete. So basically, you're like, your Disney magic never ends if you stay at that park. Because you can, like, you spend all day in the parks, you know, hanging out with Mickey and riding the Dumbos and... And then you go home to your hotel, and it's like, oh, I got a mission from the Rebellion. I got to do this. Can you, like, pay someone dressed as a stormtrooper to rough you up and throw you in, like, a giant garbage compactor? Well, that's exactly what you're paying for for the full experience at the new hotel, I'm pretty sure. Can you pay somebody to cut off your hand? That is the X. That's the gold package. You have to... The gold package? Gold package. You have to be a, a premium member of the Disney Illuminati, and you can get that hand-cutting-off package. If you're lucky, they let you choke a giant slug man 
Oh, well. and it's not even like a, a person dresses giant slug no, man. No, they no, just no. bring in like a very, very large man and let you choke him. Yes, the one they've been with a chain. He's engorged. He's still eaten. They've got him hopped up on like Twinkies and hormones. He doesn't and... even care. He just loves it. That's Disney's gross vision of the future. So I hope that'll be fun. Um, but two. Um, Are they going to still have that part where there's all those Jawas? You go into that dark room and there's all those Jawas and you go up to them and they like give you a Lego? No, you had to give them something. Oh, that's right. You had to give them like... I had to make, give them something of equivalent exchange. You drew them a picture. I drew I a picture and I made an origami hopping frog and they gave me pieces of a droid action figure. Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah. I hope they still have that. That was fun. That was fun. But anywho, enough about our vacation from like two years ago. We have to do our podcast. Well, okay, but before I dive into today's story, I have an announcement to make, Ryan. What's that? I'm a liar. Oh. I'm a shiftless, irredeemable liar whose words mean nothing, who spits on the grave of infants, and who probably pirates movies. Probably. Probably. I'm saying probably I do that. I'm not saying I definitely did. I think you have. No, plausible deniability. How do you not lying right now about that? Because I would be arrested. Or let, Otherwise. Unless you're lying about that. I would be... Can we dub in Paula Dean going, we're going to get arrested? Okay, right here. Okay, right here. And... We're going to be arrested. We're going to be arrested. We're good. Good. All right. So, because I said we were going to do Men Part 2 this week, but then I realized Men Part 2 takes us into the Second Age. Okay. But we're not ready for the Second Age yet, because there's one more story I need to do from the First Age, and it's a big one. I don't think anyone minds that you're not following through on your promise that you made sealed in blood last week, but now it's okay. They'll get over it. It's the story of Baron and Luthien. I don't right? know what that is. Can I, can I guess what it's about? You do? Well, we have mentioned Baron and Luthien, so if you totally don't know what it is, I'm going to be very disappointed. But yeah, go ahead and guess. It's about Baron Trump and Luthien Bloodmaster, who is his vampire alter ego. I like- It's about his dual life as the president's rich little boy son and his life at night as a live-action vampire role player. I honestly can't think of any universe where Baron Trump doesn't try to escape his circumstances by role-playing that he's, like, an ancient vampire it's named me, Luthien. It's me, Luthien Bloodmaster. I'm not the son of the president. I'm a vampire. When Daddy tells me I'm sad, I'm not the sad one. The vampire's the sad Luthien's one. Luthien's the sad one. Baron's not the sad Baron one. Baron is a good boy. Baron's never sad. Luthien Bloodmaster's the one that killed the dog. Baron didn't do it. Oh my god. That's so dark. L- Luthien drained it of his blood. Not Baron. I don't know why he talks like a little British boy. But he always does, though. Whenever we, whenever we impersonate Baron Trump, which we do kind of often. We he, were talking about like how his favorite Pokemon is Mr. Mime, and we are also like, doing Mr. the same. Mr. Mime is my favorite Pokemon. Daddy got it for me on his business trips to Europe on his Pokemon Go. Daddy loves Mr. Mime, just like I love Mr. Mime. Mm-hmm. Even when Daddy's away in the big white house, Mr. Mime is there for me. He's like another daddy. Do you think Baron Trump listens to our podcast? Yes. Sorry, Baron. Sorry, Baron. We love you, boy. He's actually our number one donator besides the tourism board of New Zealand, so. Okay, well. What a yeah. shame our podcast is ending before it really even began. Sorry, Baron. He's going to pull the plug. So, Joanne's going to tell you a story about your life now. Yeah. yeah. 
Well, no, it's okay because this is actually B E R E N Baron. Um, Baron, okay, it's different. You were thinking the wrong Baron all this time, and he and Luthien have actually been the subject of a standalone book oh, uh, really? called Baron and Luthien that came out just last year, like less than a year ago. Cool. So you know, this is kind of timely. Yeah. Is this a book that Tolkien wrote? This or, is another one notes? like Children of Hurin where it's based on his notes. I see. Christopher Tolkien put it out. Cool. Naturally. Anyway, Ryan, and joking aside, what do you remember about Baron and Luthien? Well, my drug-addled, fevered mind can't conjure up the recollection of what these people are. That's a long way to say I have no idea, Joanna. I can't think of it It's right okay, now. it's okay. So, Baron and Luthien are the distant ancestors of Aragorn and Arwen. Baron oh, was yeah. a man, an Luthien elf. was an elf. Yeah, we did talk about In this. Fellowship of the Ring, Aragorn sings the Lay of Luthien, which is a very, very sad song about an elf maiden who gave up her immortality for a mortal man. Okay, this is that story then. And they stole the Silmaril off the crown of Morgoth. All right. Remember, does this like, is this coming back yes. to you at all? Yes. Okay, harder question. Do you remember which of the three houses of men Baron belonged to? Oh, hell no, I don't know. Okay, so, oh wait, I'll give you the options, okay? So there's the house of Bayor, yeah. the house of Haleth, and the house of Hador. And I'll tell you, it's not the house of Hador because that was Hern and Turin's house, and we're done with them now. Okay. So it's either Bayor or Haleth. Which one are you going to go for? I think Bayor, because Baron sounds kind of like Bayor. Ding, ding, ding! It was the House of Bayor. That's usually a good way to go in Tolkien. Mm-hmm. Does it kind of sound like this other guy's name? Well, they take on the kind of family sound. They do. And actually, Baron was the last of the House of Bayor. And this is because Morgoth's forces overran their land at the end of the Dagor Bragalock, the Battle of Sudden Flame. Uh-huh. And Baron was the only one to survive because he'd been sent on a scouting mission at the time. Lucky him. So he comes back. Back, homeland is torched and everybody he knows and loves is dead. Now, this is a total side note, but despite being completely extinguished... Extinguished? Extinguished. Despite being completely extinguished, the House of Bayor still exerted a sizable influence on the culture of Middle-earth. First of all, duh, Aragorn eventually descended from them. Mm -hmm. But also, in the Second Age, it's noted that many men still spoke with a Bayorian accent. Oh, interesting. Which, like, of course, Tolkien specified that because he was a linguistics fanatic and yada yada yada. But anyway. What's a Bayorian accent sound like? I have absolutely no idea. But we know that men spoke their language with it. Did Aragorn sound like a Bayorian accent? Ah, uh, nah. I think that would have been way too far after the fact. I, I feel like the language would have become standardized. We're talking about the, these men who spoke with Bayoric accent were the ones living on Numenor. And by the time Aragorn's born, like, Numenor is long gone. Hey, I'm walking here on Numenor. That's how literally everybody in the house of Bayor sounded like. I'm a like. Bayor boy. Hey, what up? Yeah. They all sounded like either that or they sounded like Joe Pesci and Goodfellas. Yay! I'm Joe Pesci. Joe. I can't do Joe Pesci at all. And why did you even bring him up? I'm Joe Pesci. I'm Joe Pesci. I can't even do that. <laughs> That's our Joe I'm Pesci I'm very sick. Impression. That's Joe Nobody... Pesci as he's dying. <laughs> Oh, that's what I'm sure that's going to be his dying words. I hate that tub alone boy. <laughs> I'm going to get that little twerp. The little twerp turd. I'm a Bayor boy. <laughs> anyway, let's set that aside. Okay. All right, so back to Bayor. So, poor Baron. All of his people are dead, and he's left wandering all alone in the forest of his father's kingdom. A lot of people just wander in the forest in these stories. Yeah, have you noticed? Yeah. This is like a recurring theme. Yeah, so wandering alone in the forest, when suddenly he comes across a most unexpected sight. Now, 
Ryan, was this site A, an orc, B, a dwarf, or C, a dragon? Oh, wow. I thought for sure an elf would be one of those choices. Uh, I'm going to say a dragon. Good guess, but trick question, it was a hot babe! It was a hot elf babe, right? It was, yeah, yeah, so... so I circumvented that entire question. I had it figured out. So, yeah, well, here's, like, a rule. If you're wandering sad and lost in the forest, you're going to find a hot babe. That's just what happens. That's what Tolkien... Is that how Tolkien and his wife met? I don't know. Was he wandering in the woods and then found a a woman? They met when he was, like, a teenager, and I think she was in her early 20s, because she was a few years older than him and engaged to somebody else. So maybe he was, like, this high school boy wandering in the forest and yeah he saw an older woman he seems to use that plot device a lot and he did call his wife luthien on her tombstone so. wow yeah maybe that's what happened maybe we've uncovered it but anyway baron makes eyes at luthien and luthien makes eyes back at baron and they fall hopelessly in love with each other just like their descendants aragorn and arwen yeah so baron's like uh, baby let's get married and luthien's like sure i just gotta bring you home to meet daddy first and Baron's like a daddy, and Luthien's like, yeah, he's the king of Doriath or whatever, no big deal. I basically make all kinds of social faux pas. The king's gonna be like, I have nipples, can you milk me, Baron? <laughs> he said to Bo about his mom died of cancer. Yeah. He's like, as the cancer ate your organs. <laughs> it's like super awkward. Oh, no. Think of why do you always do this? Why? It's the circle of trust, Baron. <laughs> but it turns out, so like you are kind of driving at, it turns out that this is a big deal because the king of Doriath, Thingol, mm-hmm. right? You remember him? Yeah. Was super racist. Oh, no. It's like, look who's coming to dinner kind of thing. Then. Exactly. It's exactly that. So you're noticing a trend here with these Tolkien characters? They're racist and they walk in the woods a lot. Yeah, they're racist and they walk around in the woods and they find hot babes. But So this is the one mitigating factor when it comes to Tolkien's insensitive treatment of the Easterlings and Haradrim, a.k.a. apparently the only brown people in Middle-earth, is he frequently puts openly racist characters in his stories and their racism always leads to disaster. I mean, it would be nice if racism against brown people were also addressed instead of just racism against people of presumably varying shades of white. Mm -hmm. But, like, sorry to say, it's... Too much to hope for in this case. Then again, you know, there are a lot of elves and men knocking about at this time, and who's to say some of them weren't dark? So you could make that argument too, right? Anyway, I'm getting way off track here, though I do think it's a worthy digression. So, racist, racist Thingle is having his total guess who's coming to dinner moment. Mm -hmm. And he's not at all pleased that his precious baby girl wants to marry a mortal. So when Baron asks for Luthien's hand, Thingol gives him an impossible mandate. If you want to marry my girl, you have to steal a Silmaril from the crown of Morgoth himself. That's a pretty big get. Yeah, and having lost his entire house to Morgoth and his minions not so long ago, Baron surely must have realized this was Thingol's not-so-subtle way of saying, go kill yourself. Why you gotta be so rude? Don't you know I'm human too? I know I'm not an elf like you. I'm gonna marry her anyway. (laughs) I hate that song. Me too. It's like one of my least favorite songs of the past five years. Oh my god, I hate it. But because spite is sometimes the most powerful motivator, Baron decides to accept the mission anyway. And he rides off to seek the Silmaril. Accept the mission anyway. (laughs) I'm gonna take the Silmaril anyway. (laughs) Take that Silmaril. No matter what you say. (laughs) (laughs) So a little while later, Luthien suddenly gets really depressed. Like, really, really depressed. She's like, 
listening to Elliot Smith while lying supine on her bed and she's just lighting match after match so she can watch something beautiful flicker out. And... Ben's like, I didn't sign up for this. You no, know, well, he's gone, right? Oh, okay. He went to go get the summer roll. Oh, she's, she's pining. She's, back. she's pining. She's like, oh, what is wrong with me? And her mom, Melian, right, who, remember, is an actual damn Maiar. You're right. Uh, Maya is like, I'll tell you what's wrong. Your man got captured by Sauron. She can just feel it, huh? She can just feel it. Right? Now notice, he didn't get captured by Morgoth. He got captured by Sauron. Is this the first appearance of our boy Sauron? It's not his first appearance, but it is the first tale where Sauron really plays a meaty, substantial part. He's just kind of been an underling until this point, right? He has. And he actually gets, like, his whole cool, like, mini-boss fight in this. Oh, cool. So... Luthien immediately hops on a horse and rides to the stronghold of Sauron to save the man she loves. Now, let's talk about Sauron's stronghold for a second, because it's kind of fun for a couple of reasons. Okay. So do you remember several episodes ago, I mentioned kind of offhandedly that there used to be a watchtower called Minas Tirith in the First Age? Yes. And it was totally unrelated to the city of Minas Tirith that would later be in Gondor, and it's, like, really confusing. Mm -hmm. Okay, so for a long time, the watchtower of Minas Tirith in the First Age was held by Oradreth, who, you might remember, was the king of Nargothrond, right? The town glowering trick turn into abandoning. Oh, right, 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 yes. All right? Well, Morgoth's forces attacked Minas Tirith, but Orodreth actually managed to hold out for a really long time until Sauron himself was sent to lead an assault on the place. And Sauron didn't even have to fight. Instead, he placed, quote, an uncanny fear over its inhabitants. Whoa. And everyone, including Orodreth, like, pooped their pants and ran away. Spooked him. Yeah, he spooked him. He spooked him good. So Sauron became the proprietor of Minas Tirith, which sat on an island, and Sauron named that island. Are you ready for this? I uh, yeah, I'm prepared. The Isle of Werewolves. Whoa. I know. I know. Is it what it sounds like? Well, the reason he named it the Isle of Werewolves is like so rad, I don't want to spoil it, so you just have to wait a couple minutes. Oh, I gotta hear it. So by the time Baron gets captured by Sauron, Sauron has been living on the Isle of Werewolves for about eight years. So much for that relaxed NPR voice. <laughs> it's, it's really exciting. Okay. Right? It's the Isle of Werewolves. So Luthien shows up. And with her, she has a magical companion she picked up along the way. A doggy. Oh, that's cute. A magical dog? Yeah. And this doggy's name is Huan, and he is the Hound of Valinor. So he's an elf dog. He's, yeah, kind of. Well, yeah, he originally belonged to the elves. So Huan actually belonged to one of Feanor's sons, but said son treated Luthien like crap when she passed through Nargothrond. As in, he tried to trick Luthien into marrying him. Dummy. And seeing this, Huan was like, uh-uh, consent is sexy, assault is not. That's a woke dog. It was a super woke dog, so he left his master and he became Luthien's little buddy. How is he a magical dog? Can he play basketball? He's just really big and really strong. Oh. I, he probably could play basketball if it was invented back then. See, I, There's no rule in the book that says Huan the Hound of Valinor can't play. Is he like an extra long lived dog? Yeah. He is an extra long lived dog. He came over from Valinor, so it's like been a hot second since like he was an, born. an eternal dog. Yeah. That's great. That's yes. a great pet. It's great. So when Luthien and Huan get to the Isle of Werewolves. God. We get one of, I'm just going to keep doing that. Okay. We get one of the awesomest reveals in Tolkien's body of work. We learn that Sauron can turn into a werewolf. Whoa. 
which sadly he never does again, as far as I've been able to determine. So he it's named just the island one after incident. the one trick he did once. Yeah, he should really have just called it, like, the Isle of Werewolf. A single one. Because it was well, just him. He was planning to expand later. You know, he just wants to... Maybe he was planning to have some children. I think he was maybe trying to... Yeah, he wanted to hire some new werewolves. He wanted to, like, expand his personal brand. And he's just kind of, like, planning for the future. Yeah, it's well... Like, he had his vision board set up with a bunch of werewolf drawings on it. Mm, and he must not have put enough positive feelings out into the universe because he did not achieve that vision. Aww. It's just this one time. Now, Huan is fated to die once he encounters the mightiest of all wolves. So this was probably Sauron's attempt to, like, make that prophecy come true. Was Sauron considered to be the mightiest of all wolves? He, he certainly considered himself to be the mightiest of all wolves. Oh, I, I just like, I just met Huan. I don't want him to die. Well... Huan and Sauron fight, and Luthion gives Huan a great big assist with her magic, and Sauron is ultimately shredded to within an inch of his life. Oh, good. At which point, Sauron surrenders his tower and, I swear I'm not making this up, flees in the form of a vampire. Bleh! So, oh, so it's, it's about a vampire. You didn't tell me this is part so, of the story. Well, it's, yeah. It's a vampire named Luthien Bloodmaster. Again, vampires are never mentioned anywhere else in Tolkien. So, so what should I picture weird. here? Should I picture... I don't even know. I don't even know. Because to recap, Sauron can turn into a werewolf at will and also take the form of a vampire, whatever the hell that means. Okay. Like, I mean, is he, does he look like a Nosferatu? Is he Bella Lugosi? Is he like Bella Lugosi? Is he like Edward Cullen? What does it mean? And why would it be an advantage for him to take the form of a vampire when he's running away from a dog? I bet he's kind of like a flying type. I bet he's like kind of one of those like man-bat vampires. He's there in like, um, like the crappy Van Helsing movie. Okay, so he like flies away on wings. Right. He's like a big leather-winged bat sort of... He- Gross yeah. boy. With yeah, fangs. yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's gotta be something like that, because otherwise I cannot see anything. I'm running away from this dog. You know what would be like really useful right now? If I was just turned into a vampire. Bleh. Bleh. Right? And he's actually so embarrassed by this defeat that um he's not actually seen again until after Morgoth is defeated. I would I mean turn tail. Because right? he got beat up by a dog. What's a beautiful magic dog? Can play basketball? Like why would you be I know it. I know it. Nope. He, there's no shame in that, really, but he seemed to think there was. So in this way, Luthien and her dog friend rescue Baron, and all three of them proceed to Angband to take the Silmaril for Morgoth's crown. And this part we've already kind of covered, right? So Luthien puts a sleep spell over Angband, and she and Baron are able to take the Silmaril while Morgoth is snoozing, right? Mm-hmm. However... I didn't cover this part before. On the way out of Angband, they are accosted by Karkaroth, the great wolf that guards the gates of the fortress. Now, this has got to be the greatest of all wolves. Well, maybe. I don't know if Tolkien was going through, like, a wolf phase when he wrote this story or what. Well, he's wearing his shirt with the three wolves howling at the moon on it. And... He, he alternates between that and, like, a t-shirt with a crying Native American man <laughs> and, like, a quote from Little Bighorn on yeah, it. Yeah. Like, those are his two, his two looks. Uh-huh. But regardless of why he put so many wolves in this, the results are badass. So in order to take the Silmaril from Baron, Karkaroth proceeds to bite off Baron's whole ass hand and swallow it. Whoa. Silmaril and all. But because... You choke on that, doggy. Well, because the Silmarils were created by the Valar, the jewel starts burning Kakaroth's guts to ashes, and he goes on, like, a crazy rampage of agony. So is it like, um, like in Princess Mononoke with the big pig that's got, like... 
Yes, it's exactly like, like that. An animal rampaging because he's been touched by by forces he can't control. Yes, that's exactly what it is. Oh, wow. Exactly what it is. And he's like all gross. And there's like worms, weird black yeah, worms coming yeah, out of his yeah. eyes. And so meanwhile, blood is just like spurting from Baron's tattered stump of a wrist. Yeah. Fortunately, though, his girlfriend is an elf, so she just like cauterizes it with magic. And she and Baron return to her father's kingdom of Doriath, and she's like, look, Dad, I know we don't have the Silmaril with us, but you will not believe the week we've had. And Thingol's like, never mind that, there's a crazy burning wolf rampaging all over the kingdom. Yeah, I'm like, well, about that. Yeah, yeah, right? So sure enough, Karkaroth is loose in Doriath. Now, I think we all know what this is. The perfect excuse for Baron to bond with his future father-in-law. Over a flaming wolf. Exactly. So Baron and Thingol go hunting for Karkaroth, and they eventually manage to kill him and retrieve the Silmaril. How did they get his hand back? Well, actually, Baron is horribly wounded and dies. Oh, no. And then Luthien dies, too, because she's so sad. What? How do they even have time to make children, then? How are they How are they ancestors of anybody? Well, wait for it. Okay. Wait for it. Because... I'm not going to pull another Children of Hearn on you. This story actually has a happy ending. You could fool me. Well, as with all spirits of elves and men, Luthien and Baron's souls wind up in the halls of Mandos. Remember that place where your soul waits until it either passes on to Valinor if you're an elf or question mark if you're a human? It passes on to Mandos, the hands of fate. Mandos, the hands of fate. So yeah, they both end up in Mandos, the hands of fate. So when Luthien comes before Mandos, she's like... Jeez, you know, I wish there was a way I could convince him to let me go. And Baron, two, three, four, and she starts singing. <laughs> oh, wow, really? Yes, and because Luthien is, like, good at literally everything, her song completely rocks. And Mandos is so moved that he grants her a special fate. Luthien gets to become mortal and return with Baron to Middle-earth. And they dwell there in happiness for the rest of their days. That's nice. Yeah. What about Huon? Uh, Huon does die. Aww. I know. Sucks, right? Did he get killed by the big wolf? Yeah, he did. Hold on. Let me double check that real okay. quick before I say, but I'm like, I'm like almost positive that yeah. Yeah. He died when they were hunting Karkaroth and Doriath. Wait a minute. It says he speaks? Yeah, he can talk. What? Sorry, did I not mention that? No. Yeah, he can talk. I mean, he only talks three times. Speaking for the third and last time, he wished Baron and Luthien yes. farewell and died with Baron's palm upon his head. That's very sad. Yeah. Yeah. Poor puppy. Yeah, poor puppy. Poor puppy. But yeah, he could talk, but like only three times what? in his entire what? life. They have to like... And he, la- he, he spent his last time saying goodbye to Baron and Luthien. That's very sweet. But man. I know. It's not, like, the saddest thing. Honestly, like, I feel like I subconsciously left that part out of the story because it was so, it's so heartbreaking. Now, if Mandos was a cool guy, he would give Huon another chance as well for being a good boy. I don't think dogs go to the halls of Mandos. You mean not all dogs go to the halls of Mandos? No, I don't know where dogs go afterwards, but I don't think that's where he went. So the Don Bluth movie? All dogs go to the halls of Mandos is a lie. <laughs> it is, you know, Don Bluth was doing a lot of coke yeah. at that time, and I think maybe it came to him in a vision that all dogs well, go to the halls of Mandos. It was, but... a, it was a Don Bluth Ralph Bakshi co-production. Oh God! Well, then you know things got crazy on like, that set. Yeah, that Lord of the Rings flavor, that that dog. Ralph Bakshi's like, here's what we're gonna do: we're gonna rotoscope over literally everything, and Don Bluth is like, his face. Buried in a mound of blown, he's just like, yeah, Ralph, yeah, it's great, it's great, just make sure we put dogs in it. Dogs. Oh, God, I love dogs when I'm on coke. That's what happened. In the 80s. Yeah. 
That's what the 80s was like. Wow. That's a good happy ending. Yeah. So that's the story of Baron and Luthien. And now we can move on to the second age. I'm glad you got to Next that. Next week. There's some good bits in there. I liked. Yeah. Yeah. I told you it was a good story. Yeah, it's a nice one. I can see why it was a full story, a full book. It was actually my favorite when I was reading The Silmarillion. It so was my favorite part. Have you read the full book version? Um, I have not. I have not because um, I have not. You're not part of the Tolkien Society. They haven't mailed. Well, no, I've not been able to read a book for pleasure in like two years. So who's, since grad school, whose fault is that? Um, I guess mine for studying literally every second of my life. But yeah, eventually I will. Anyway, tell me about a thing from a Star Wars. So last week we talked about an event called the Moffrance. Yeah. In Jedi Prince Book 5. Yeah. And you were disappointed mm-hmm. that a certain character was not there. Grand Moff Tarkin. Yeah. My, my, my Tarkins. Your tarky. My little, my little, little Tarky. Little Tarky. And so today we're going to be talking about Will Huff Tarkin. <gasps> oh my. Oh, I need a moment to process that. Okay. So first of all, we're doing an episode of Grand Moff Tarkin. Second of all, his first name is Will Hulf. Will Hulf. Oh my god. He W-I-L-H-U-F-F. Really, he really is just this like big Germanic panzer man. He really is. Wow. Now, Tarkin, like many characters in the Star Wars, have two separate timelines now. Okay. Kind of like we had with Lobot. We basically have a, a tale of two Tarkins here. We have canon Tarkin, we have Legends Tarkin. Yeah. And they over they intersect a little bit, but they are very different cool. in some regards. So I'll start with the canon, because it's a little shorter and kind of more boring, I think. Alright, canon Tarkins. So but they both share the same backstory for Tarkin. Tarkin comes from old money. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Tarkin family of Ariadu. This is a planet that they own. They are the, the rulers of Ariadu and have been for a millennium. Now, wait. Yeah. Before we go much further, I feel like you should, in case people have watched Star Wars but aren't aware of which character is Grand oh, Tarkin. Oh, Grand Moff Tarkin is the one in A New Hope and also in Rogue One. Mm-hmm. Uh, played by Peter Cushing in A New Hope and played by a CGI monster in Rogue One. And <laughs> you know, I actually thought it was pretty good, but I think I'm alone on that. And he's the one who says, fire when ready. Fire when ready, his most famous line. He's the one who's like interrogating Princess Leia about where the rebellion bases. He's got a cool widow's peak. He's the guy who talks the most next to like Darth Vader. He's basically the empire in that movie. He he's, like, he's like the main villain. He's got like cool, sharp features, and I like the way he talks. You think as a, as a kid, you remember Darth Vader the most but he doesn't do that much in A New Hope. It's really Tarkin doing all the heavy lifting. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like a bit of misdirection, I think. Like, yeah. only later on do you find out, like, oh, Vader is, like, the, the big baddie. Right. So Tarkin is is that guy. Yeah. So there you go. And Joanna is inordinately obsessed with I'm, him. like, the world's biggest Grandma Tarkin fan. I don't even know why. I just, like, I like when his self is on the screen. Good description. Now, Ariadu... <laughs> When the Tarkins first got their millennia ago, it was a savage wilderness, but they, the Tarkins, tamed that wilderness. Oh, did they? Did with, they put down the hostile natives? They Well, there weren't any hostile natives, but there were all kinds of crazy creatures and jungles and stuff. And so, at a young age, Wilhuff <laughs> was taught hunting and had a strict military upbringing. Which shows that back is ramrod straight. Yeah. As a child, his parents instilled a sense of ruthlessness in their son by sending him to the untamed Carrion Plateau at age 11. The Carrion Plateau? And he had to survive. He had to make his way home from the Carrion Plateau back to his home compound. Oh my god. With just like a vibro knife and a backpack. Whoa. And through his experience, Tarkin came to believe that the strong and intelligent remained in power by maintaining control over those beneath them and that life is a constant struggle for survival. Golly. So at a young age, he's taught this. In, um, 
George Lucas's head, do you think this is like how all Nazis were raised? Yes. This is like this is how he They pictures had to fight it. their way back to Berlin. He's or like, whatever. okay, so here's what happened. Like Hitler's parents obviously left him on like some carrion plane and made him fight his way back when he was eleven. Yes. And Only way to explain it. Yes, he's ruthless, that's why. Now, did was Tarkin rejected from art school? Yes. Okay. Yes, he was. All right. I'm he, glad that's in there somewhere. He tried to draw the, the pirate and the turtle, <laughs> and it was not very good. Subpar, at yeah. best. So when he was old enough and he graduated from his little fancy private school, he got to go to the Sullis Sector Spacefarers Academy, and he met an up-and-coming senator from Naboo <gasps> named Sheev Palpatine. Oh, that's right. I forgot that Palpatine's first name was Sheev. 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 A manly name. <laughs> And she even encouraged Will Huff to go on to a career in politics, but at the time, it wasn't really what he was into. He wanted to go to, he wanted to become a space cop, essentially. Whoa. Yeah, that sounds about like the kind of thing a Nazi would want to become. Palpatine did kind of pull some strings, help him get into the Judicial Department Academy. He became something of a legend in the Judicial Department after he had a string of successful missions. But after seeing the tensions rise in the galaxy, he decided to follow Palpatine's advice and go into politics. And his first step was to become the governor of Ariadu. Ah! Hometown boy. Hometown fella. Yeah. Do you have like those like po- like those really cheap local political commercials? Oh, of course. It's like Tarkin is a guy you can count on. I survived the Carrion Plateau. My dad. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> my dad. <laughs> my dad. Grandma. Tar- well, I guess he wouldn't have been grandma. He doesn't Tarkin. have any children here. So. Oh, well, no. I, he doesn't seem like the type who. My was. dad, Sheev Palpatine, said <laughs> I would be good for this job. <laughs> So after his term was up, he became an officer in the Republic Navy during the Clone Wars. And he still kept in, co- kept in contact with his buddy Sheev, you know, who was currently working up the ranks and becoming like a chancellor and stuff. Cool. He had some adventures with clone troopers during the Clone Wars. He had his own platoon he was in charge of. Yeah. And including an adventure where he was kidnapped and tortured. But thankfully, he was rescued by a couple of Jedi Knights uh, named Obi-Wan Kenobi and Anakin Skywalker. You know, a couple of a couple of guys. No big deal. You'll hear about them ever again. Don't worry about them. Oh, okay. I won't. They're not, they're not Already forgotten. After he was freed, he joined the Republic Special Weapons Group. He worked on a moon-sized battle station out on Genosis. And was overseen by Lieutenant Commander Krennic. Oh? Yeah. And he was sort of threatened by Tarkin's hands-on approach. Like... He did not like any like workplace harassment. He was just like I was gonna say like was he? He was just there him? a lot. He was doing a lot of. He was Tarkin kind of, goosed him all the time. No yeah, big, no big deal. Hands on approach. Yep, you're know, like a boss. You know, <laughs> he's a cool boss. So he kind of hung out up there. More stuff happened. Then episode three came around, and right. obviously the emperor took over Order sixty six and all that. And you actually see Tarkin very briefly at the end of that movie. What? You do? Did they do like the um, well, CG Peter Cushing thing? No, no, no. It's an actor with makeup, and it's an actor you know. Named Wayne Pygram. Do you know Wayne Pygram? Oh my god! Yes! Like, you mean Scorpius from I mean from Scorpius Farscape. from Farscape. Oh my god! That's perfect, because he also has very sharp features. He's only in one silent scene at the end. There's no dialogue, but he's standing next to Darth Vader watching the Death Star be constructed. So I'm very excited. And it's that, Wayne like, Pygram. Oh my god. If you guys haven't seen Farscape, you should watch it. It's um, good... Farscape is like... Maybe my favorite sci-fi thing ever. And Ryan and I feel very lonely because for years and years we've had literally nobody to talk about Farscape. I saw with. my friend Leslie, and that was yes, it. yes. So somebody like please watch Farscape and talk to us about it. Yeah. Oh yes. my God, Wayne Pygram. Yeah. So in this process, he was made a grand moth by his boy Sheev, who's the new emperor. And so he became governor of the Outer Rim, essentially. And he uh, took on many responsibilities, seeing that every planet operated at peak efficiency to assist imperial expansion. Which basically means he flew around and just harassed people till they worked harder. Yeah, you know, like you do. Yep, and then Rogue One happened, then A New Hope, and then he's dead! 
No! Do we actually see him die on screen? No, he gets blown up in the Death Star. So he... Oh, he's dead. He could have survived. He's dead. He could have survived. He's dead. No, he's not. So I'm you pull a picture of Wayne Pygram as Scorpio. Yeah! As yeah, man! They did a good job! Mm-hmm. They got somebody with, like, you know, the cheekbones... You gotta have, like, the crazy cheekbones uh-huh. and the kind of, like, prominent brow, and they gave him the widow's peak. I think they could have had him do some dialogue, but... They... Yeah, I would have liked that. They actually used this appearance of him in the Clone Wars cartoon when they had Tarkin running around. Did they? Yeah, they used it kind of based on Wayne Pygram's younger Tarkin look. Oh, no so, way! Yeah. I mean, but now that I'm looking at it, all I can see is Scorpius. Yes. Yeah. Like, like, if, if, like, human Scorpius. Right. Wow. So that's the canon story of Grand Moff Tarkin. The legend side's a little different. It has roughly the same upbringing on Ariadu, ruthlessness and strategy taught at a young age. He actually had a little bro named Gideon. Oh. He didn't have a brother in the canon side of things. Gideon? That's such like a biblical name. Yeah. There's lots of pre-Clone War stuff with Chancellor Valorum and tax negotiations. I do remember, Chancellor Valorum seems to think there is hope or something There's like that. There's a lot of really... I can't actually remember what she was talking all about. All the kids love is politics <laughs> and tax negotiations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And young Tarky. I will sign no treaty, Senator. But Palpatine picked him specifically to keep an eye on the Jedis, who he didn't really trust at the time. So... Tarkin kind of kept an eye on them. He went as far as to leave a broken droid out for Anakin to fix. Like He did not. He set a boy trap for him. Oh, this is a boy trap. And the, and the, and I'm it, catching boys. And he had surveillance equipment on it so he could spy on the Jedi better. Anakin's like, a droid, that's a neat trick. And he brought it back in. And Tarkin's <laughs> and like, like, thank God this is the dumbest kid I'm in the so universe. glad I picked the dumbest boy in the Jedi Academy. <laughs> this nine-year-old who acts like he's about four. Yes. During this rise to power, he instituted something called the Tarkin Doctrine which saw play throughout the rest of the Empire's ascendancy. Yeah. And the Tarkin Doctrine called for the rule of the galaxy through fear of overwhelming force and recommended the creation of super weapons such as the Death Star to create terror of Imperial reprisal that would stifle any thoughts of rebellion. Palpatine, chief, he loved yes. this. He loved this so much, he made Tarkin the first Grand Moff and gave him control of nearly the entire Outer Rim. Did he, like, invent the title Grand Moff for Tarkin? Yes. And people, he's like, you're going to be the Grand, um, the Grand... Um, Moff, and he's like, "What the hell is a moth?" He's like, "Well, it's what you, you are, are now, and we're gonna make a bunch of other moths, and it's gonna be like the cool thing to be." And he was—he just thrived in this new position. There was an event called the Gorman Massacre. Yeah. Ooh. So shortly after the Empire rose to power, like all these planets in the galaxy that were previously untaxed were all of a sudden being taxed. And there's obviously kind of like some rebellion, kind of like a Boston Tea Party kind of thing. Like they didn't have a representation in the Empire and they're being taxed anyway. And a planet called Gorman, there was a bunch of activists who had set up and they'd taken over the spaceport. And they yeah. were on the landing pads. No one could land there and anything. They said, we're not going to be taxed, blah, blah, blah. And so Palpatine sent Tarkin to do that. And Tarkin had the best solution to solve these activists. He murdered them? He landed his ship on them. <laughs> And so the Empire liked it and gave him a promotion for that. <laughs> you murdered a lot of people out there, Tarkin, have a promotion. He was promoted. Your yeah. mate gets there, he's like, hmm, you like, like oh, how can I sell this with diplomacy? You know what? Like, screw it. Just land on the activists. They're not going to yell anymore. I didn't walk all the way back from the Carrion plane for this. No. <laughs> He just lands on him. Wow. I thought that was a great story. That's an amazing story. Now, Tarkin's story in the legend side of things kind of takes a bit of a, I don't know, it's kind of Game of Thronesy kind of like. Tarkin was looking to advance his position, and so he was looking for a wife. And he married a woman named Thalassa Mati of yes. the influential Mati family. Wait, of- he actually did get married? Yeah. 
He basically married her for contacts and money to raise up in the imperial ranks. That's that's tar- that's Targon all over. I that's know. I, I had no idea about this. But later on, he actually got her relative, Conan Antonio Mati, promotions within the Empire. Oh, nice! And he rises to the rank of Admiral. And he's actually the guy who Darth Vader chokes in A New Hope. Wait, really? The one whose his lack of faith he finds disturbing. But Targon just sits there and lets that happen. Oh, he's, isn't that, isn't that his... If you watch the movie, he's kind of loving it. Like, Wait, isn't that like his brother-in-law then? Yes, it was kind of like his cousin. Like his yeah. cousin on his wife's side. And so I, I didn't know that backstory till now. And I think it was definitely something they added in later. Despite marrying his wife for contacts and money, he was not, you know, entirely satisfied. So he began an affair with a tactical, with a with a talented tactician named Natasi Dalla. I didn't think he had it in him. I didn't either. But she rose through the ranks under his tutelage, like she <laughs> under his tutelage. Well, yeah, that's what she was. In under. more ways than one. <laughs> <laughs> so Tarkin's relationship with Dalla led to some rumors among the subordinates that she had only obtained her rank by sleeping with the Grand Moff. I mean, which is true. Well, he was enraged when he overheard one young officer mutter a complaint to that effect. So Tarkin had the lieutenant ejected in a spacesuit with a day supply of air and piped his open comm over the intercom of his flagship so the entire crew were forced to listen as he raged, pleaded, and died. Oh my god! And after the incident, Tarkin heard no further whispering. Well, I would hope. Jeez, so Tarkin is like hardcore in the Legends I mean, timeline. Like you he is, know, at least her man stood up for her, I guess. His character just gets better and better for me in the Legends side of things. So are you like coming around to my way of viewing it? Yeah, and like, no, I love, you know I've always loved Tarkin. I had a Tarkin action figure. I don't think any other seven-year-old had a Tarkin action figure, but I did. Do you still I, have it? Yeah, I do. Oh my god. It's at home. Yeah, my parents' house. There's a funny little event they talked about in six years before the Battle of Yavin. Uh, Tarkin paid a visit visit to Viceroy Bail Organa of Alderaan. Yeah. Um, Leia's dad. Yeah. Dad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But while he was visiting with them, he was struck by a water balloon dropped by Princess Leia. Oh, Leia, you little scared. So you think this is like six years before the Battle of Yavin. She's like 12. You little scared. Oh, dropping water bombs on Tarkin, which makes their interrogation all the more tense and thrilling because you know that he's, he's like, you dropped a water balloon on me when I was at you, your daddy's house. You made my head damp, you little rapscallion. Now tell me what the rebel base is. Right? <laughs> so during that time, he also found a planet of intelligent species called the Amwadi, and no one knew about this planet. It was uncharted. It was his own kind of pet species. Oh, all for him. Yeah. And so, of course, later he committed systematic genocide against them. Of course. In order to encourage them to develop weapons for the Empire. Wait, which, really? Yeah, which worked. Oh, it worked. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, you know, he got things done. Now, here's an interesting wrinkle I hadn't heard about. Five years before the Battle of Yavin, Tarkin commanded the subjugation of the defiant Mon Calamari. Now, those are Admiral Akbar's people. The sad-eyed fish people. The prominent Mon Calamari leader, Jial Akbar, our Admiral Akbar, was enslaved and entered into the service of Tarkin's subordinate naval officer commanding the conquest. To please Tarkin, however, the officer gave Akbar to the Grand Moff as a servant. <gasps> Akbar served as personal aide and as a chauffeur, piloting Tarkin's shuttles. Tarkin came to have a vague fondness for the reliable servant, that sad-eyed fishman, and considered him like a pet. He would often hold forth on his tactics to Akbar in self-satisfaction, gloating about his plans to subjugate yet more worlds. Because he never figured that Akbar was ever going to be able to do anything. And then, Tar- and then of course, Akbar escapes and becomes the admiral of the rebellion with all of Tarkin's strategies in his head. So you know, you know, you know, you know what what Tarkin told him. He's like, okay, Admiral Akbar. Well, I guess he would have called him Admiral. He's like, hey, my little fish pet. Yeah, my shattered fish man. If you ever, if if you were ever to get in this situation, which you won't because you'll never escape from here, just remember that it's a trap. <laughs> <laughs> 
Very good. And that comes back to him later. Now, even though he has a new pet, that same year his bro Gideon died. and I don't think he cared. Well, he did care because Wolhuff had to take on his temperamental teenage daughter, Ravosh. Wait, really? So Tarkin had like a surly adopted daughter. Oh my god, can you imagine Tarkin just being like, teenagers? Well, he was never a warm family man at the best of times. And so Tarkin disciplined her by sending her friendly serving girl, her best friend, yeah. and her family to a penal asteroid. What? As punishment. Oh no! So you can guess Ravosh didn't really like her uncle that much, and she later became a rebellion agent. So F you, Uncle Wilhuff! I'm gonna become part of the rebellion that tears down your empire! Yeah. So in Legends timeline, the events of Rogue One don't really happen. There's no Krennic. There's lots of stuff about building the Death Star in this region called the Maw, which is like an asteroid field surrounded by black holes mm-hmm. that no one can get to. Uh, he dies in the Death Star like in the movie. It's like that. His mistress, Dala, goes on to lead the Imperial Remnant after the Emperor is killed. Whoa! Really? Yeah. So... Holy cow! So she really was capable. She was. I mean, it wasn't just all, you know, knocking boots. And then later during the Yuuzhan Vong War, and they unite the Empire and the Rebellion, she's also an important leader during that time as well. Really? In the Legends timeline. And you talked about the Amwadi earlier, the people he subjugated for yeah, fun. Yeah, the people he did, like, did genocide to, yeah. Well, the word Tarkin entered their language, and it meant demon or butcher. <gasps> wow! Bunch of Tarkins. Bunch of Tarkins. Tarkin was truly the greatest Tarkin of our time. He was. I have a few kind of fun behind-the-scene facts here. About Tarkin or about, about... about... Tarkin and in general. Okay, let's hear it. So Peter Cushing yeah. was originally approached to actually play Obi-Wan Kenobi. I can see it. I can see it. But he is, uh, Lucas met him and like, no, 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 this guy's got to be my Tarkin. And so, and, and he, he was more into that villain role anyway. It is like very good casting. And it's also probably like fun part to play. Yeah. And Cushing said he chose his roles based on what he felt viewers would like to see him do. Oh. He thought viewers would like to see him better as Tarkin. I do like to see him as Tarkin. We know this. Yeah. That's like a very nice way of thinking about things. Yeah. And on set, he was very pleasant to his co-stars. Uh, he made it very difficult for Carrie Fisher to muster up the animosity she's supposed to have for him. Because he was so nice. He was so nice. She's like, I can't like be all, all, all like tetchy with this guy. Yeah. Oh. Uh, this is pretty funny too. I don't know if it'll ruin your next viewing of, of A New Hope, but the costume department was unable to procure boots large enough for Cushing, and so he wore the small boots for a few necessary long shots, but spent most of the shoot in a pair of slippers. <laughs> and so they're women's slippers. And so, like, while he's interrogating Leia, yeah. if you were to pan the camera down, he's wearing, like, pink women's slippers. Okay, but, but imagine this. What a power move. Power move. <laughs> right? You're like the hottest S in the galaxy. You're like known for being just this brutal monster who like commits genocides and lands ships on peaceful protesters. Yeah. And you're like coming out to meet this monarch that you're going to interrogate and possibly torture and blow up her planet. And you're wearing women's slippers and you're like, are you going to say something about it? Like, yeah. Are you going to say something? Come on, are you? you? Come on. No, go ahead. Say it. Last guy who installed my slippers, I put him out in the airlock with a day supply of oxygen <laughs> and I pipe in his screams. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what the guy said. He's yeah. like, hey, your girlfriend only got where she is by sleeping with you. Also, you wear women's slippers. Out! <laughs> so, yeah. So, that whole time that he's interrogating uh, Carrie Fisher, she was trying her hard not to laugh because he was wearing slippers. Oh, my God. That is a, that's an adorable story. Is that story. cute? Oh, yeah. my God. Tarkin. So, that's our Tarky. Now, I have to say, like, because I know um, Alec Guinness, like, was not into Star Wars at all. Well, he thought it would just be like a stupid kids movie that no one would see. Like, I, he, I was under the impression he just did not like it at all. He was not a fan. He thought it was kind of schlocky. Yeah. Whereas Peter Cushing was used to the whole hammer horror side Oh, I guess he was. He had been in some schlocky stuff. And he so thought people like, would really like, you know, he, so he hammed it up. And I think he, the, the, he the, the up movie perfectly. is so good because of it. Like, 
Seriously, watch that movie and listen to how he says, fire when ready. They're all VR a little bit. And it's just... Musical. With so much relish. Yep. So there you have your Tarkin story now. Oh my god. I mean, I think the legend side is more fun. I think there's a lot more like crazy. I love the fact that he has to deal with a sulky teenage Sulky teen. He's got a pet Admiral Akbar. He's got... You know, genocides multiple peop- multiple planets. He like, like he like titters while his uh, his his wife's cousin is getting choked out right oh, in front of him. So good, yeah. Because awesome. I feel like the canon side is a little bit too bogged down by the Clone Wars cartoon and the Rogue One events and stuff like that. But yeah, right. That's what I got. Wow, thank you so much for doing an episode on Grand Moff Tarkin, my, my inexplicably favorite, favorite character. He's, he's so. great. One of my faves too. Yeah, awesome. He's the space Nazi we love to hate. Yeah, he sure is. So who do you think would win in a fight? Him or, um, oh, Hitler Youth. Um, red-haired guy. Uh, Hux. Hux, 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 Oh, I Hux. think Tarkin's way more brutal than Hux. You I think mean, so? Hux blew up a bunch of planets. Yeah. But he seems like kind of a wimpy boy. He's Hux seems a bit green, doesn't he? He seems a bit green behind the ears. Whereas Tarkin, he's had a lifetime of ruthlessness and strategy training, and he could easily surpass him. You want to know what the difference is? I feel like... Tarkin and Hux probably come from similar, like, upper-class backgrounds, but I feel like Hux's parents did not leave him on the, um... Carrion Plateau. On the Carrion Plateau and, like, force him to, come, like, walk all the way back when he was 11. Nature I feel like nature, he yeah. was a bit of a Nancy boy. Maybe a little bit. He's just, like, he's just a little boy plain Tarkin. Exactly. That's how I see him. And he'll never be him. No. Never the, be Tarkin. The original Grand Moff, the OG Grand Moff, none can pass him. The OG GM! You got it. Yeah. All right. Well, awesome. Thanks, babe. Well, I hope that you uh, feel better soon. Well, yep. As long as I don't shuffle off this mortal coil in the next week, we should have another episode. Well, in that case, everybody, we'll see you next week. You can email us at whatslightsabersprecious at gmail.com. We have a new website, whatslightsabersprecious.com. Yeah, we just made it last weekend. Uh, it has all our episodes up and it's fairly utilitarian right now, but we're working on jazzing it up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, we feel so official. We made it with Squarespace and everything. And they're not even sponsoring us. They're not even sponsoring yet. Yet. My goal is to sell out at the first available opportunity. And you can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. Just search What's Lightsabers Precious. Yep. I was thinking about names for our listeners. Did you come up with something? Well, you know, like the, the mission statement of our podcast is to definitively prove that Lord of the Rings and Star Wars are the same thing. Yes. And... We've done a bang-up job so far, some expert scholarly research into the subject. And our, our biggest smoking gun is that Ewok equals Hobbit. Ewok does equal Hobbit because right. Endor equals Endor. So let me run these past you. They're pretty clunky. Okay. But tell me what you think. Hobwalks. Hobwalks. And Ebits. And Ebits. Oh, Hobwalks and Ebits. Sounds kind of like Hufflumps and Woozles. Yeah. Hobwalks and Ebits. Let's just use both. Okay. Like, see you next week, Hobwalks and Ebits. Yeah. Let's do that. Ready? Okay. Let's say it now. Let's, you do one, I'll do the other. See you next week, Hobwalks. And later, Gators, Ebits. Bye. Bye. Bye.